All right. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Thursday, not Friday. We are doing a bonus episode of Learning Tech Talks, but the mission is the same. We're still exploring the landscape of learning technology, cutting through the fluff and answering the questions you need answered as we navigate this ever-changing digital world of learning and development. So today, I am joined by Todd Moran and Juan Moran. I Hopefully, I'm pronouncing them right. I actually... <laughs> it's Juan Moran, but... No What's problem. that? It's Juan Moran, but no problem. See, I don't, I can't do the accent. <laughs> I grew up in the Midwest. It just doesn't click well. So uh, anyway, we're talking about collaborative online learning. And honestly, I get really excited about this topic because so often you hear that online or digital learning is somehow the, the lunchbox version of the steak dinner. And it just bugs me. because That's not the case. It doesn't have to be that way. Can it be that way? Yes. Is it often that way? Yes. But does it have to be that way? No. And technology is making it a lot easier. So anyway, that's what we're going to be talking about. But before we get into it, we're going to do our usual kind of fun way to start things up because, hey, you can't talk tech all the time and we need to get to know people. So let's do that right now. And let's start off with a simple one. Where are you in the world today? And those of you joining, comment in and share with us because, hey, we it's collaborative. So you play along as well. Let's let's go clockwise to start, at least my clockwise. So Todd, let's start with you. Perfect. Uh, thank you, Christopher. I am, uh, for all those in the Rocky Mountain region, I, I am streaming in from Fort Collins, Colorado. So about 50 miles due north of Denver in a uh, not snow-covered Rockies, which is quite sad for, for, for many a folk in, in town. But uh, okay. it's great to be here this morning. I remember, I remember that because when we first talked, you mentioned Fort Collins, and I mentioned that I was born in Berthoud. So familiar territory for me. That's right. <laughs> The, the right. Colorado connection, Christopher. Colorado connection. <laughs> All right, Juan, where are you? Where are you today? I am in San Francisco, California. I live in the city in the Alamo Square neighborhood where you'd find the painted ladies. So pretty central. Okay. All right. And I'm guessing you also do not have snow. <laughs> no, it's actually unusually warm this week. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I'm in Waukesha as I always am. My background never changes because, hey, I don't go anywhere. But, okay, let's shift gears away from where you are. And, again, everybody watching, play along with this because I'm actually really curious. There's going to be some fun stories, I think, that are going to go along with this. So the question that has nothing to do with learning and tech but should give us a little bit of insight into you, and I'm going to reverse order this one. So, Juan, you get to go first. What was right. the first CD or compact disc, for those of you who may not know what the acronym <laughs> stands for, what was the first compact disc that you ever owned? So uh, it was 1993, uh, so I held out <laughs> on buying compact discs for a while. I was very into my uh, audio cassettes, but my first CD was the Beavis and Butthead experience, uh, a soundtrack <laughs> to wow. the movie. Uh, so uh, I was a teenager, very into grunge, and, uh, and thanks to used CD stores, uh, I, I adopted the format. Okay. Okay. Wow. Beavis. I, you know what? I remember that CD. <laughs> it just takes you last from the past right there. Just even the word Beavis and Butthead takes me right back. Okay. All right. Okay. Makes sense. All right, Todd, you're up. What was your first CD? 
Woo. So if, if, if my beard didn't date me already, I'm going to go, I'm going to go way back pre pre 93 here. And, uh, I, I did a little bit of dumpster diving in our, our local town to get my first CD. Uh, brother took me to a CD store in Chester, New Jersey, where I grew up on the East coast. And the police ghost in the machine was my, was my first, I owned it. It was not my brother's, not it was mine, brother. a holy unto me. So, okay. uh, right. a lot of that influence came from him, but that was my first. <laughs> okay. All right. So mine, mine's actually kind of funny because we had we had one boom box all right in our house we had oh. one boom box with a with a cd player thing on the top that you had and it was my mom's and there were strict rules that you were not to have cds only she could have cds because it was a gift and whatever it was it was kind of a weird thing but anyway but i so desperately wanted to listen to my own music whenever she wasn't around and i didn't want to just listen to the radio so anyway i snuck with a friend up to, I had to drive 45 miles because I was in a tiny town. And so I had to drive 45 miles to go to the CD store. And I bought Mark <laughs> Mark and the Funky Bunch. Okay. Oh. The very first CD because Good Vibrations was, you know, top chart at the time. I'm like, I got to get this thing. Maybe you think that's how he got his start. Now he's Mark Wahlberg. But anyway, so I had Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. And I remember hiding that thing so that nobody would find out. And one time I forgot to take it out of the CD player and I got in so much trouble. <laughs> so much trouble for that. Yes. So that was, yeah, you was you were barred for weeks on that, Christopher. I can imagine. Anyway, oh. all right. Well, that was, a, that was a fun blast from the past there. Um, so let, let's shift gears into learning tech. Let's talk a little bit about this. So you both work at NovoAd. But before we get into NovoEd, what's a little bit of your background story in the space? So tell me a little bit, you know, your, your elevator speech of, of who you are and, and why, you know, did you grow up in kindergarten and say, you know what, someday I want to work for an ed tech <laughs> company on collaborative learning. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll have to start here on behalf of the Morans. But uh, so I, I didn't have such a vision, Christopher, when I was younger. But uh, I will say you for didn't the, have that clarity. At eight I years didn't ago. have it. I, I was I think it was all firefighter all the time. That was my that was sort of my you know four, four year old vision, which I, I, I've not aspired to. I did get my certification as a uh, EMT and wilderness uh, first responder. So that, that helped okay. at some level. Uh, but you know, the, for me, the first part of my my career was really on the customer side. I spent the better part of uh, nearly, nearly two decades, um, kind of in L and D, uh, doing a lot of professional services, external facing training and development. Um, love love that experience and just sort of you know watching the, the power of, of you know how do folks develop as as professionals. That was exciting for me as an adult. Uh, and then I, I joined about uh, a little under ten years ago. Jumped to the vendor side, so to the okay. provider side of, of the house, and that uh, that really started with um, Jive Software for folks. At still remember that it's still around in some form today but uh, this was you gotta you gotta put put your uh, time capsule on right so this is sort of pre-microsoft explosion and teams uh, pre-slack uh, and this idea of how do you bring people together in this sort of unified fashion to execute work to you know work better together was the tagline and a, a big part of that was was learning on on that jive platform and i i watched firsthand as i brought that in to schneider electric uh, one of the one of the big um uh, enterprise entities I worked with, 170,000 uh, people worldwide, 100 countries, and watched the power of that. And then that led me uh, to to Edcast. So I uh, played and dipped my toes in the LXP space for several years. A great piece of technology, and uh, again, kind of cutting cutting new ground. And and now to and now to Novoad, which I think is even cutting uh, newer ground. In, in its All focus. right. So the collaborative online, well, wasn't necessarily dedicated to learn. That was where you started playing. Okay, so you were in a- exactly. Okay, how about you, Juan? 
For me, it started out when I was in undergrad. Uh, I went to UCLA to try to get into the film school and become a filmmaker. I was watching a lot of like Tarantino movies at the time. So this is early <laughs> 90s when I was listening to Beavis and Butthead. And, um, and I, I got really, really touched by um, some issues I was seeing happening on campus, especially around the underrepresentation of students of color, working students, adult learners. And uh, I got involved in student retention and actually ran a student run uh, retention program uh, as an undergrad and went into the LMS world from there. Uh, prior to NovoEd, I was at Blackboard for several years, supporting um, universities, colleges, executive ed programs like we do today at NovoEd, and uh, learned about corporate learning while I was there and got really into it. And I joined NovoEd uh, a year and a half ago as a solutions consultant. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, well, that makes sense. And, and now under, I understand a little bit more about how it all clicks and why it makes sense here at Novo. So, but let's let's explain what Novo Ed is. And this was mm -hmm. a point of feedback I got early on in the show is that sometimes people, there are so many categories of things right now that sometimes people are having a hard time differentiating. What is this stuff? So when we when people ask you, okay, you work for Novo Ed, collaborative online, what is your what is your brief to the point explanation of what it is so that they don't get confused and think, oh, is, is it an LMS? Is it an LXP? How do you describe it to people? Yeah, I usually well, do you want to share a tagline? Yeah, please. Yeah, sure. I, I, yeah, people often want to know if we fall into a certain category. Um, <laughs> probably if we do, it would be a PXP, a program experience platform. So we could provide you another one all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to remember easy to reiterate and um and really the the, the image i'm trying to conjure when i'm describing someone what nova what is and and does is just imagine your your in-person classroom training now you have you have the opportunity to work in a you know with a cohort of your peers and be able to exchange best practices hear each other's insights give each other feedback. Now imagine being able to take that experience from the classroom and bring it into a, a digital platform where you're not gonna be losing you know, any of that very valuable interaction. And, and if anything, you actually get some additional benefits. You get to spread out the learning, have more time for self-reflection, to consume and to practice, um, as well as do all that great community building too with your learners. Okay. I like that. I like that. Well, and so so let's let's jump into this one first because I think when I think of a PXP, I don't think I've heard that one before. So I'm gonna have to now. I'm gonna have to remember that one too. But it is it is an accurate description to me of what your platform does, which is you're taking a program or a that collaborative experience and then you're transitioning it over to the digital space. But I think when you think about that, one of the things, and you t you tell me a little bit, or let's talk about this a little bit is that that's not simply take, because we're, we're, you'll see reactions to this, is the three-day classroom experience has its issues, <laughs> right? There's some serious <laughs> issues with the impact, the ability for it to deliver on certain things. It's, it can be difficult to scale. There, there's a lot of limitations to it. So moving that into the digital age is not as simple as just taking something and then dumping it into your platform. Correct. Like, let's talk a little bit about Absolutely. what that is and, and what that looks like, because classroom experience may not always have this warm, fuzzy feeling for people. Or even if it does, people may have that warm, fuzzy and say, you just can't recreate that over here. 
Yeah, it's a it's a great point because I mean I think we see a lot with you know with our clients and so much of our, our focus you know really you know we've got huge footprints and our legacy of starting at 2012 with our our current CTO and co-founder uh, out of the social algorithms lab at Stanford is exec ed is training partners but our real focus since our acquisition by Devonshire the uh, EdTech investment investment equity arm Fidelity in 2018 means we're focused on enterprise and for enterprise you know the challenges they they face right are not just creating that dumping ground of <laughs> classroom experience pure but how do you create that sort of um, that really meaningful opportunity for access at a broader scale for flexibility the way that Juan's describing in terms of how this gets administered or the nature of mentors and facilitators that can be part of that experience over a prolonged period and then I think two of the biggest pieces that folks are missing when it comes to the design side of it are really thinking about the situated learning uh, piece of it and the reflect the reflective practice those two aspects that you simply cannot do in a boot camp style format of a classroom based experience because you only have that one situated experience with that one entity so now all of a sudden you're taking you know, cohorts that were in the tens and now it's hundreds or thousands you're taking folks that sort of lived a, a, a week-long experience and now that's spread out as a, a massive digital transformation effort over nine months mm -hmm. and by the way they're working full-time so they have the opportunity to come back into the platform and, and create those uh, opportunities for iterative uh, practice and reflection which i think are really big okay well, I think that's that's an important part when you think about this, because when I think back to whether it's whether it's a three day workshop, whether it's a week long workshop, whether whatever it is, the challenge with it is always you're taking people out of work to come do mm -hmm. this thing. And so they're maybe focused on whatever it is, and it may be a great experience. They may have a lot of insights and things they take from it. But the problem is this massive no. disconnect happens where they have to go do this and it does become almost impossible to actually allow them to actually apply and put it to work, think about how they would do something with it. And that degradation, yeah. it happens quick. I mean, it, I, yeah. half the time, I mean, I remember back in the day is like, by the time you got to the airport, you're like, <laughs> there was something really great. I, I wrote it down, but I threw away my workbook. Shoot. Well, oh, well. And I think this is an opportunity to actually capitalize on that. Say, how do you deconstruct that experience in a meaningful way that is digestible and sustainable. Yeah, that feels like you're single-handedly accelerating the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve. Uh, Christopher, maybe that's what you're, you're explaining right there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> 20 minutes post, you know. But I, I mean, we joke about it, but you know, the, the learning science that lives behind the platform, and, and you know, Juan can speak to this too, is this idea of space learning is a real thing. This idea of this encoding event that happens, whether that's classroom-based or for us in a digital experience, but then the retrieval. What, like, when do I have to come back and retrieve that piece of knowledge and demonstrate demonstrable, you know, showcase of I have gained said skill or knowledge that comes through practice and reflection and having you know being able to do that over a period of time, I think is really where you get those performance gains, which, you know, I know Juan, for us, that, I mean, that's so much of what the focus is for our enterprise customers. It's, they're not just doing this for, for the sake of, of generalized learning and kumbaya. It's it's fun performance. Cool, but it better be doing yeah. It's purposeful learning. Yeah. It, these are programs that are usually strategic. They're part of a, a new mindset, a new behavior. They're trying to develop in their, their learners and their employees. Um, and they also want to make sure that the experience is accessible. Accessible in terms of like 508 compliance, we follow WCAG standards, but also accessible because um, most of our customers are global companies. So you have distributed teams. It's really difficult to get people all together at the same exact time in a Zoom or WebEx meeting, for example. Yeah. Well, I, 
Yes. Yes, I'm just going to leave it in <laughs> yes because we could go into yes. that one probably ad nauseum in terms of the difficulty. Oh, sure. Especially, it's one thing if you have everybody – if you have everybody local, well, right now nobody's local and in the office, but even in the days when you did, that was great, but that's just not the reality for most organizations. And especially as we move into, you know, we have a lot more gig workers, we have a lot more remote employees, we're more global as organization. People just aren't in the same place at the same time, which to your point about accessibility, I think that's one of the biggest things that you're actually limiting the population, whether it's access because I can physically get there or even just the reality of, you know, the, the ability to scale that becomes very, very difficult and expensive. And I think that just then limits you to, um, I, I had one program that we did a similar thing to. And you know, what I said is it was very effective in person. The program was very effective in person. We had metrics on it. And I remember when I said, we're going to take this digital. And they looked at me like I had nine heads like, <laughs> so well. And I said, but only 40% of the target audience can even get to it because the other 60% are somewhere else in the world. They, they, they have scheduling conflicts. They have meeting, con something goes wrong. And so the other 60% miss out. So that's great. We have this effective program that's working for these 40%. Let's not kill that. I'm not saying put that in a box, put it six feet under, but how do we enhance and augment that? So the other 60%, can have a version of that that doesn't be a second class experience. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it is about meeting them where they are. We've seen the rise of deskless workers, for example. They may not be sitting in front of a laptop or desktop computer all the time. So that's why we made it a big priority to release a, a mobile app that's available for iOS and Android devices so you can learn wherever you are. Okay. So let's yeah, talk Christopher, about can I I'll go for it, Todd. Can I have one more thing? Because oh, the piece that you like no, totally you resonates with you. I'm like, going to mute your mic. You control the, you control the, the, the stream. No, but you're, you're, the, what struck me, because you're like, the point you bring up about the accessibility, you lived it, breathed it with a programmer too. And we've, we've had clients that, again, you know, pretty traditional financial services, think about some of the largest banks in the world, you know, fundamentally in this past year, having to revisit, you know, absolutely critical, cultural critical components to who they are as a firm, like a uh, basically onboarding uh, program for, you know, bringing in new MBAs. Traditionally, they had co-located those around just select uh, regions. They have London or it was Hong Kong or it was New York. And, you know, now that the doors were wide open for them and executing that on, on Novoa this past year, what they saw was, right, it's not just this we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, but the manifestation of it. Now, all of a sudden, you can bring in people from any geo, from any time zone to be part and parcel of that experience. And it, it creates, you know, greater <laughs> retention of talent, getting, you know, higher offers to the folks that are coming out, they're securing them versus the other competitors in the space. So it's not just, um, you know, doesn't make it more accessible for all, but it's sort of driving some business impact pieces, which I think that's really important if folks are not thinking along those lines. So. That's, no, that's those aren't. Problem. No, it's a, it's an important point, and I think sometimes those metrics or those problems may not necessarily be something that we're always laser focused on. Which again, I, I talk about this a lot: this need for us to break down the silo of L and D yeah. and start to think more broadly yeah. about talent management, talent development. How are we thinking about talent mobility and our overall culture, you know, initiatives, and how are we tying these things? And what are some of the business priorities that? L&D can be a massive contributor to, if not even the driver of, if yeah. we do it well. But yeah, I think it has to be, right? It has to be. Well, yeah. just, I mean, I think in some <laughs> regards, we're the most equipped 
to actually do it. I mean, we can let other yeah. groups do it, but in some regards, it's like that we're, we're the best group. Uniquely positioned. Yes, we are uniquely positioned to do it. But so let's, let's talk about this elephant in the room with this one, because I do often see this reaction. And to me, it's just a, you haven't experienced it yet. You haven't seen what good looks like. But I, I've had more than one conversation where you talk about online learning and you just see people go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not this. It's not really the same, or it's not quite as good. You know, I've done that before, and I, I didn't really feel very engaged or connected. It it felt very not that great. So let's talk a little bit about that because that is a reality. And in my opinion, it's not that you can't do it as well. It's that all your flaws are <laughs> tuned up to eleven. If so, if <laughs> not doing this well and you throw it in the digital space just haphazardly all those flaws just come rocketing to the top but let's talk about the collaborative piece because how are people then maintaining that really engaging working together with other people and still feeling like there's this connection with their team when they aren't sitting in the same classroom or workshop or even building as their cohort team members Juan, do you want to start? I, mean, I know there's a huge set of just capability in the platform, Christopher, that we designed specifically to address that, right? So, yeah, you know, the nature of how we do treatment. How, but, when you're yeah. helping people work through this, how do you work with them on it? Because it is a real risk. Yeah. I mean, it is a real yeah. risk that people could go, it went from True. this cool yeah. collaborative experience, and now I'm watching eight 30 minute video <laughs> videos discussion thread and we're saying that that's the same that just doesn't get me nearly as excited oh. yeah I, I hear what you're saying i think a lot of people when they hear online learning like you were just saying christopher they start thinking about their compliance training their traditional e-learning where they went through like a click-through course and maybe they just watched videos and took quizzes as knowledge yep. checks, for example, to make sure they're consuming the content. What we've done is, although we support, you know, that kind of use case is really focused more on functionality that enables you to be part of a community, be able to not just work and, and practice and apply what you're learning, but also share it and get feedback from the peers. Because often these learners are, they're experts in their own right. They have a lot of expertise as, for example, leaders going through a leadership development program. There's a lot they could share and contribute to the learning from their own expertise. So we wanna help facilitate that. So we enable you to do peer reviews, you know, share each other's work, give each other feedback on like a case study you're working on, for example, but also be able to collaborate in teams. People think, oh, you're thinking, this is like a breakout. Uh, activity, for example. Yeah, we do that in person, or maybe if we're in a, a certain, you know, web conferencing tool, there's a feature to do that, for example. But, you know, they they start thinking, how, how could you actually do that in an online course? Right. Well, we've developed that functionality to enable you to do just that thing. Okay, got it. Anything you'd add to it, Todd? Yeah, the other piece, Christian, I think that really stands out for, for folks who are thinking about, because then and we can get into this as a second subject, but the idea, right, is that we're, we are trying to purposefully lower the barrier of entry for folks being able to create experiences, rich experiences on the platform. And I know that comes with, it's a bit of the Peter Parker principle, right? With, with, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, you got to be careful how, how wide you open those floodgates, you know, but allowing people to, um, to basically insert those opportunities for the feedback components that Juan's talking about or having the dedicated uh, team workspaces and group workspaces where it's not 
a running thread of discussion and a comment on a piece of isolated content. It's not a totally decoupled experience of a standalone group and a legacy LMS or LXP or in Teams or Slack. It's contextualizing all of that and and you know having those opportunities. So I think that's a big piece to keep in mind. Well, what's what's interesting about what you what you both said on this, and I think this is one of the things that often to me has been one of the biggest contributors as people make the shift into digital where it goes south is, you know, as you talked about some of these pieces, Juan, is the fact that how often have we really taken the time to think through and actually deconstruct the experience? So as you're looking at this workshop or whatever, the program that you're saying, okay, we want to move it, not just saying, oh, these are the pieces. Now we just move these pieces over here, but actually taking the time to say, what were these pieces? What worked with these people? Like what really was uniquely distinct or what really grabbed people with that? And then let's rethink about what is the best way to deliver that same experience in the digital world. And, and as one example, I had I, I remember I was doing a uh, re-architecting something with a group and, and they were saying, well, there's just no way we can do this digitally because this exercise, people do this. <laughs> and I said, OK, fine, you're right. We can't do that digitally. But what is it? about that exercise that actually either drives home the message that you're trying to drive home that actually really makes people feel what what is it about it? have you ever dug into that and it took a little bit it took a little bit for them just to go through that and go oh i guess i never thought about it because we just did it and we knew it worked and i said well but let's think about that like why yeah. did it work and once we actually did that exercise it became very easy to translate it over to digital because we said, well, if this is the core of what we're trying to accomplish with that, that we can do digitally, it's going to look different. Sure, it's going to look different, but we're just, and I think that's the thing. When we just shift from one box to the other, of course, it's a terrible experience. Because you're trying to recreate something that was never designed for something in a medium that really isn't designed to handle it that way. Yeah, the, the sort of the rote duplication of that which worked in a, a pure face-to-face -face setting, right? Just doing it for 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 the sake of that is absolutely. It's just we run a. There's one of the things we run. Uh, we sort of talk about the pure champagne experience. We run a, a course wide open on that Nova platform for the external public called the. Um, uh, Juan, help me here with the acronym. We basically it's a learning experience design course uh, with formalized certification. LXD. We want to get familiar with yeah the LXD course, uh, and the idea behind that of like listen, what are the purposeful choices like you're alluding to about when you create these experiences? More importantly, why? Why are you creating them? Why do you need a team assignment here? What's the intent of that? What's the purpose? Is there a reason for a facilitated discussion at this moment in time? Should you create a uh, an opportunity for a video submission component at this stage and moment in time in the program and helping to teach people you know, how to, how to think differently about that approach and uh, a little nod to that of course it just got we just got Sherm certified for it which is great so uh, folks have an opportunity to take it but it is it's changing the mentality of how people think about the design side of the house okay yeah because often we're hearing okay it was a three-day program like you're describing Christopher we're gonna spend three days in zoom or WebEx <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna follow the exact but, same format we'll take a break take care of your bio needs every once in a while <laughs> so so we do consult on that we have a great team of um, professional service Services folks, their uh, learning experience designers that will take your in-person workshop and tell you, okay, here's how you can uh, digitally facilitate this. Here's how you can automate a lot of this so you can scale your facilitators more and have a, a, a broader reach amongst your employees, for example. So we, we teach uh, best practices. 
Okay. So that's part, then that's part of the experience. Because again, that is a, that is a fundamental, in my opinion, and just having coached and led a lot of different, that's a fundamental mindset shift in many regards for a lot of L and D teams to just start thinking differently about this stuff to say, you know, we may not have actually taken the time to do this in the past, or maybe I was just handed this program and, and I, I wasn't really part of the architecture. I didn't really understand what things we were setting out and why each component was designed to be here for it. And so as you're translating it over, you haven't really taken the time or you may have never done that. So I can see that being an important part of the experience as you go through it. Yeah, Chris, I have one other note there that I think for the benefit of folks out there thinking about the makeup of their teams, I know that's not the topic of this, of this conversation, but we've had several clients, one of the largest oil and gas uh, producers in, in, in the world, you know, they fundamentally did a revamp of their L&D team and they did it around thinking about we should bring in folks that have the storytelling capability, that know about sort of experiential design, that think about sort of architecting those sort of those solutions. So it wasn't just your classic instructional designer and bringing the business as part of that and they created a centralized center of excellence around and now they sort of walk hand in hand. They don't just take requests from the business, they sort of walk hand in hand with them. And then they picked up a, a tech stack that would solve for that, right? So they have a core LXP, they have a core LMS for backends, you know, uh, capturing of static catalogs, uh, but, but then creating the experiential side, they have Novo as that third leg of that stool to go forth and cover everything across all parts of their business. And um, that's sort of the vision they're, they're taking with it. Okay. Well, and, and it hits it hits on the important point, which, I think we say it a lot. I think every you know conference you go to, you hear it all the time. You know, start with what's the outcome. We talk a lot about <laughs> outcomes, but I don't know that we always yeah. do the best job of actually saying, "Well, let's actually let's really clearly define this." And I think even when it comes to the tech stack, you can't you can't start with the tech and then back into okay, what are we going to yeah. do with this thing now? And I yeah. think your point, you know, with this. This isn't just a, all right, we've, we've got a hammer now. Let's run around and try, find some nails to smash into boards. Instead say, all right, we have these, these programs or we may have this big challenge we've set out to do that we need to create an actual experiential learning program. How do we actually walk people through it? So the, the other point that I, I am curious, and, and I think this is where we're going to go, this will shift gears a tiny bit, but I think it's still related because I think a lot of times you know, I know the audience that listens to this um, is it's a diverse group of folks. So there's there's a lot of people that may not necessarily just be your traditional HR learning and development person. I actually have never reported into HR. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of these functional learning leaders who I think a lot of times when people think of the traditional learning program, they think leadership development. Now, first time managers, they go through a leadership development. Oh, when we have an executive development program. We send them through when they have these workshops. But that's not the only use cases that, in I mean, in my experience, those aren't the only use cases I've applied it. So let's talk a little bit about how people can be thinking about that. Because to me, this whole concept of experiential learning, this is bigger than first-time leaders or managers. I mean, this can actually be drilled into brass tacks of upskilling people in a specific job. Yeah, Juan, maybe you want to share some of the, you know, yeah, especially absolutely. for us to, you know, in that enterprise space, seeing these emerging emerging use cases and applications where folks honestly are getting the more bang for the buck. Not that leadership is unimportant, it's exceedingly no, important. It's critically important. Of culture. It's critically important. important. Just to keep the that. view of it. Put that as yeah. the box and then we're like, well, okay, this works well over here if, if done well. Like, why aren't we applying those same principles to 
other things. So Juan, I Yeah, absolutely. So leadership development is our most popular use case, but really it's those use cases where it's a strategic, you know, learning experience. It needs to be guided. It's something where you need, you know, you're going to need a facilitator to get involved. So those other use cases where that's applicable, where it could apply to everyone could be onboarding, for example, all your new hires need to get onboarded, for example, how can they do that? Be part of a community and get to know their peers, find out who to go to to ask questions, but also go through the processes and learner processes. All that could be easily facilitated through a program uh, experience like ours. Then there's upskilling. Um, we've seen more customers use our platform for sales enablement, for example. Motorola Solutions, Stanley Black & Decker, they're having sales teams go through a program on our platform where they can practice their sales pitches, uh, be able to get feedback on that. So it's that practice and application aspect that they love about it. And the people at Motorola, for example, they're not L&D, they're experts in sales enablement. So we're actually seeing the platform make it a big impact to a lot of different lines of businesses amongst our customers. Okay. So, so with yeah, that, the no, go for it. No, so the other piece I'd add to that, because we're seeing this more and more spreading over the last uh, 12 to 14 months on our side, but you know, when folks think about onboarding, how, like, how do you do that? And I'm not talking about just the, the checklist and the classic, I've got HR forms and get those things set up in my open enrollment. But you know, the idea of, of, of that onboarding experience is how do you, especially with sort of the advent of COVID and not even being on the other side of it yet, is how do you indoctrinate people to the sort of the nature of culture, right? I've got a, I've got a great colleague who runs our uh, director of product marketing, uh, Declan Fox, who has a great line about you know culture is it's not something that's that's dictated right it's co-created it's co-created and that's through sort of the experience side of that and it's done on mass so if you can create an onboarding experience that persists over a period of time that has those opportunities for practice and reflection has mentors checking in consistently and has facilitation from a, a dedicated business unit all of a sudden that that really accelerates the speed to productivity of those folks in the field or how quickly you can put them on projects um, these all have you know huge impact from a, a business perspective it's not just running a fixed program. It's thinking about a continuation of effort over time. So. Okay. Well, and, and as we think about this, and I think this is just one of the opportunity areas. Um, and again, I think, I think it's a balancing act. It's not a everything needs to shift into this type of thing because you need to really start with this. Okay, well, what, what are we trying to do here? But, you know, Taylor Blake and I were talking, I don't know, it was a couple months ago about this. And one of the things that I think is, Good, but also, well, I actually think it's concerning is that, you know, when we good and concerning in that technology is really allowing us to, you know, micro learning, nano learning, right? All these new things are coming up and we're trying to chunk and bite size everything into these tiny little pieces, which can be a really good thing because sometimes that truly is all somebody needs is just a little nugget to get them across the finish line to be able to do this, right? To bump them over or to give them something they need. Unfortunately, that's not how you develop skills. Like, it, I mean, yeah. sk skill development, you don't watch a 20 second YouTube video and suddenly become a master. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It's through spaced out practice and reflection and feedback. And that's kind of a hard reality that sometimes people don't want to deal with, not just L&D, but business leaders. Like, well, we need to upskill our people yeah. on this thing. We're not going to push out an e-learning that's going to fix that. It's just not. The only way we do that is to actually put people through an intentional development experience where we say, 
this is what we want you to be on the other side of this. And this is the journey we're going to take you on to get there. And it's not going to be, it's not going to be an overnight fix, but I think, you know, what, what your platform and this kind of approach to learning does is it allows you to say, okay, but are there components of that that might be a nugget? Sure. There might be a component that's a knowledge nugget you just need, but we're going to allow that to be a nugget, but we're also going to layer and augment that with all these other things that allows you to really develop. And so I think to the point of, you know, where might you be targeting this? Sure. Leadership makes sense. Onboarding makes sense. But I look at, you know, a lot of these new roles that are coming into organizations that maybe they haven't had before, where suddenly they have a need for multiple people that are doing whatever that is. And they go, well, we don't, we need to bring a bunch of people up to speed on this to be able to do this new capability in the organization. This is the ideal state to say, let's build what that experience looks like so that we can scale and do this and do it in a way where we don't just give somebody a 60 minute video and go, good luck. (laughs) Well, they're not going to be able to. Yeah, that's yeah, the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, just thinking about that experience, can you know, can you really watch a video and become an expert on diversity, equity, and inclusion, for example? It's another popular use case on our platform. So you need that that community to be able to have intelligent conversations and safe spaces to be able yeah. to talk about things like social identity and microaggressions, and then be able to apply that culture of of, of inclusiveness and and belonging, you know, through exercises you have in your program. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Christopher, I'd be intrigued to what you got there. And I don't want to make it too, too controversial, but I, you know, having lived three years on the side uh, of the LXP, and there is a ton and there's a massive value in the power of the LXP and the personalization and uh, on the AI side and you know, be able to reach huge swaths of the employee population on masses is fantastic and habituate them into the idea of you know, edifying consistently, not just periodically. The challenge is you know, if you're calling that skilling, like you're saying, one, one those are inferred skills, just because I watched a playlist or, <laughs> or a set of pathways on this, do, like, do, I, do I have to one's point, do I have that skill? Can, so I think we're trying to be the complementary component to that. Where are the demonstrable activities and how can you showcase those in a platform that can still be measurable because we need to be able to do that uh, and be able to capture those. So that's that. I think those things run hand in hand. And for folks that are going, you know, this picture tech set will solve all my problems, just you know, a bit of the buyer beware. It's a huge win uh, in many ways, but thinking it will absolutely do the deep skilling and the experiential yeah. side, I think, is a misstep for folks. Canada. Well, and I think the thing with it, and this is where sometimes I feel like <laughs> we get into these big debates, or people get you know very protective of certain areas, and it's like, <laughs> you know what, we need it all. I mean, that's the reality. The complexity of work and the pace at which it's changing right now. We need we need all of it. There, there's not yeah. a oh, well, micro content is bad. No, micro content is not bad. It just needs to be used in the right context. And if you're trying to do everything through micro content, that's not the right approach. Should everything be a what, PXP? <laughs> no, it shouldn't, right? You shouldn't have to go through Agreed. a PXP Agreed. on Salesforce as a sales professional. That, that would make yes. no sense yeah. to be like, okay, we're going to have a eight week experience on how to put things uh, in how to create an opportunity. What? <laughs> that would be an awful application and use case of it. So I think it's less of a, oh, which one's good or bad or what's okay. better or worse. It's like, well, th- there isn't an answer to that question. You're asking the wrong question. The question is, what are you really trying to do? And then based on that, what is the right 
suite of tools or the right application or approach to take to actually do this. And to me, upskilling is this type of approach is probably one of the best in that the, the way you upskill people in these hard skills that they need to grow is you got to do it. And they need evidence yeah. from somebody who knows how to do it, who can give them that feedback and saying, oh, we'll just rely on the manager to do it. Yeah. We've all we've all been there. Like that doesn't <laughs> do they have a role? Absolutely. But if we just kind of off put it and say, well, managers are responsible for that. No, they need they need a Sherpa. I, I think you use that word yeah. backstage. And I think that that is this thing where you're saying, where do you need a skilled guide who can take somebody through an experience, build skills, give feedback, allow people to learn from each other? Because you mentioned this earlier, Juan. Mm -hmm. People are empty boxes. They're not coming with nothing. They're coming with their own experiences and things. And so yep. how do they contribute and collaborate along the way? And I think that is the power of, of the cohort. It's also yeah, the so power we, of mentorship, which we also right. support on our platform. Yeah. So you can have the facilitators and, and the peers available as resources, but bring in a mentor. It may be a manager mentoring direct right. reports, for right. example, to help provide that guidance and career growth as part of the experience as well. Okay. Yeah, Christopher, it's, it's really intriguing that, that that idea that pulling the thread on what Juan was talking about, we've seen folks that, you know, really thoughtful application of the manager, mentor, facilitator kind of model in the, in the Nova platform. I think of um, uh, Semex, one of the largest building materials providers in the world, one of our clients, you know, they had a huge tagline for their uh, sort of national, massive digital transformation effort they put forth that was leaders as teachers. And it wasn't bringing the exec for a 20 minute opening intro to that live kickoff and then they disappear for the next six weeks. They literally were with embedded videos were opportunities where they would create team assignments where they were scoring on the rubrics for folks and it was a low barrier of entry for them in terms of their time commitment but they were purposely inserted across a long duration of time so that you again infuse that sense of culture and make them present and create that modeling activity and there's just no other way to do that in in some of the other 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 platforms by design. So no, well, and and so I, I want to get a point of clarification on this because I think this again going back to accessibility and just capability of this by doing this stuff and taking it digital, you're opening up significantly more opportunity for collaboration from people who may not have even even not even just learners, but even <laughs> your point of members of the team or senior leaders who can then come in and and actually personally give an input to, hey, this is why this matters or this is how this fits in. Well, now you can do that because before you couldn't because, well, you know, so-and-so can't make it to this classroom. Right, or we're co-located for this conflict. weekend or this week. It doesn't yeah. work. And so now we're just going to cancel that or we're going to get somebody else to fill it and it doesn't have the impact. Where now you can say, well, no, you're not limited to that, which my point of clarification, I do want to ask to, to make sure people understand this is that we're not only talking about asynchronous digital content as we're building this out. As you're building this experience, there's opportunity to augment and infuse these live components, even within this program or through the Novoad experience. It, and one of those components could potentially still be in person, correct? Like you could still kind of create a component in there to say, well, yeah, it's a digital experience, but part of that digital experience is a live interaction, either either via Zoom or whatever, or in a classroom, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, we could support um, webinars and other live events on our platform. Uh, a live event's a learning object. 
So you can certainly have a blended learning experience for your participants on the NovoEd platform. Some of our customers will have um, some pre-work to do so that you can support more of like a flipped classroom approach so that when you're in your webinar, you're focused on having dialogue there based on all the great content you've consumed up until that point. Or maybe the, that webinar, it's a launch pad. Like for example, another use case we see amongst our customers is product training. And so maybe you get together uh, to learn about maybe um, some uh, some goals you have around writing code. <laughs> and then as an engineer, uh, the breakout is you go into the, the NovoEd platform to do some practice and share code with like a third party tool, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's just the, the, the thinking that I get is I think sometimes we get caught. We, we don't see the forest for the trees, yeah. right? Because we're, we're just so focused on the activity or this one component that we're like, but what is the broader experience and where does that piece fit into the broad? And to be fair, historically, I don't, my personal experience has been a lot of tech has not necessarily done a good job supporting that broader experience. No. It has been very focused on what is that object where we're really good at making sure that object gets to people at the right time or in a different way or things like that. But it, there's not a lot of tech out there that really does a good job of saying, well, okay, that's fine. We do that too. But how do we pull that whole experience together so that people see, they do see the forest for the trees? Yeah, I think Christopher, like the, you know, I, I think I can call it your alma mater now, right? As far as you've, you've since split and moved on from GE and, and all those wonderful times there officially and and now, but, uh, you know, we, we've done a lot of work, you know, with um, with them and, you know, their, the nature of you know, some of their critical learning programs, but being able to do that in a compressed format with those live synchronous events being part and parcel, but of the broader experience of these opportunities to kind of connect with colleagues and to sort of create submissions and and even doing that in a, in a bootcamp style that might be compressed over three days versus a extended duration. So thinking about the holistic experience, I agree. It's sort of back to what you should be doing at the outset. What's the outcome that you truly want and what's the experience to get there? Yeah, well, and I wanna, I wanna take a minute here. There's a couple of questions that I'm actually gonna bring up. And one of them, I wanna tackle some of the challenges that people face with this, right? Let's, let's tackle one of the challenges. One of the questions that came up, and this is a legit one. This is a legit one. You know, well, people don't want, them spending all this time with their staff going through the full learning cycle and they don't necessarily see the, they just want this micro content. And I will say, this is a legitimate challenge that you have to face. There is constant pressure. I've been in more meetings than I can count. Where it's like, Well, I know, but how do we just get people to just consume this e-learning and then that's it? And I don't think there's an easy answer to, well, just do this magic trick and, and magically the organization will do it. Now, I do think some of the things we've talked about that can help with this, though, is being very intentional about being able to articulate the right approach for the right problem. Because I will tell you, if, if you go into a board meeting or a leadership meeting and you try and make everything a program experience, Yes, they're going to throw you out and slam the door. <laughs> like absolutely to our point early. You know, if you're trying to say Salesforce training, like great, I know yeah. we're build an eight week. Pro yes, they will absolutely <laughs> throw you out. But if you're really being particular and strategic about selecting, hey, where are we going to apply this? You're, you're going to get some resistance, and I'm curious, you know, what you're seeing from from customers and things like that. It it it's a journey. 
I mean, my experience has been it's a journey and not out of the gate. Everybody's on board with it. But if you're really listening and identifying where are these big skill or behavior challenges and you can articulate, hey, this is this is what that architecture map looks like. Wouldn't you agree? They need to know this and this and this. You can start to help translate that from, well, couldn't we just make that another section in the e-learning? No, no, and and here's how to think about it. Again, it's a challenge. There's a reason I don't have hair. I joke about that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I have this, Christopher Chase. I, I know my pretty great, surprisingly. Um, but it's, but it is true. But I'm curious if you have any things that you've seen customers do or things that you've experienced that have helped people get across that because it is a real challenge. Yeah. It is a real challenge. So I'll start with two, I'm sure one is a few others. So I think first and foremost, this idea of the curated goal-aligned content, super critical. And even if folks um, have existing learning pathways or play sets that are of that micro-learning experience where it's just in time, just enough, just for me, that's that's the tagline of all Alex speeds, right? You get to discover whatever you want, whenever you want, just just the right amount that you need it. That shouldn't go away. It shouldn't. But I think the the real focal point where our clients are spending the time thinking are, you nailed it, it's performance gaps or big behavioral change efforts that they want. And how do you, how do you create that sense of habituation to change that behavior over time or increase performance? You, it, it takes a concerted amount of focus and time uh, and that they will not get by just watching playlist upon playlist upon playlist. So I think the thoughtful uh, approach to sort of which areas require that sort of depth of experience is sort of number one. And then being okay with this idea of the coexistence. And if we come back to your point, Christopher, of thinking about the broader, the forest and the sort of the trees and the forest concept of thinking about the holistic experience where maybe it's the, the pre-read concept or some base level uh, initial skilling efforts that happen with the micro credentialing, you know, pieces on, you know, some other type of a platform. But when it comes time to sort of really drive some of those pieces home or augment them, that's where the, the approach with sort of the programmatic collaborative social learning becomes so powerful. But Juan, I don't know if you have yeah. thoughts. No, I mean, Christopher, uh, you, you nailed it. <laughs> You said you can't make everything programmatic and we're not trying to be everything for everybody. Um, we know we're part of the learning tech stack. So it makes absolute sense to have an LXP so you could support self-service on-demand learning. Uh, there, there's, there are times where that makes perfect sense. But when you need to make sure that the learning is directly tied to um, business impact that you're trying to make, you're trying to increase revenue, you're trying to change the, the culture, maybe develop a, a growth mindset, and maybe you're trying to improve processes and, and performance. Well, you could do a lot of that in a programmatic experience where people get to apply it, get feedback, and kind of go on a test drive to see like, can I really do this? And, and I, I'm glad I have the opportunity to try and practice in a very safe space where I can get feedback and it's okay if I screw up. That's what the whole learning process is about. Yeah, well, and so there's there's two things I, I wanna hit on on that. I'm telling you, I told you we're gonna run out of time because now I'm just getting, <laughs> I'm getting riled up. Now you just going. But I think what's interesting, going back to the question of, Right? How do you bring things on? We, we've talked about this being strategic about where you apply it and applying it in the right way. But I think the thing that's really interesting about it is I've been in more conversations than I can count where people have said, it's just not possible to measure behavior change. And my answer to that is, that is not true. That is not true. And this program approach is really a way where you can capture data points across the journey to say, we are making people better at XYZ. 
are, we, and we've seen it. We have the data to show that they are moving along. And when you can start doing that, and some of the best ways I've been able to get the mindset shift to happen on the business side, because it is true. Everybody's like, well, how do we do this faster, quicker? Can't we just send them a video and call it good? You can't just say no, and we're going to do it this way. You have to really work with that. But if you can find those opportunities to lean in and say, hey, we've got this one area. Let's try it. Right, let's try this on this because we know this is a focus area. We know it's important. Pick something that's critically important, not one of those knee-jerk business leader reactions where they're like, oh, we need training. No, no, no. Find one that really systemically is something that the business is saying, we need to solve for this. And actually tackle that one and say, hey, and, and one of the questions were about you know knowledge checks. Yes, you can build knowledge checks, but there's also, you know, Juan, you talked about it earlier, rubrics in here where you can say, if we're trying to get people to do this, what does good look like? And how do we measure that so that, yeah, they might take some knowledge checks, but they're also going to do something. And we're going to say they didn't do it very well. And guess what? Because we've now stretched this out in a program, yeah. we can say, guess what? You're not going to do it once. You're going to do it a couple times. And we're going to see how you're progressing on the behavior continuum so that then when all is said and done, this session episodes about impact, you can actually go back and tell that behavior change story to say, see, it worked. We actually were able to get people better at this and we can show it. And now you do that a few times in small instance, I can tell you right now that mindset shift happens real quick, like real quick. Yeah, it's it's intriguing, Christopher. Like you, you touched on a huge part of what we've recognized, you know, early days, and have put a huge amount of R and D focus in. And I can give a little maybe sneak peek from some roadmap pieces for us. But take the example of this idea of video rehearsal and practice. That is the demonstrable act of you showcasing that I have obtained said skill or can demonstrate said activity or sort of close that performance gap. Being able to space that out and do you do five iterations of of that pitch or that product introduction or that uh, example of you introing a crucial conversation discussion with uh, a, t a team member and you get graded on it, and then you kept, we're capturing all of those data points for you so that you can have that delta. And then the pace, the place that, or excuse me, the place that we think it's going is the idea of that's happening inside a programmatic experience, right? That's happening inside a course. We're going, that's great, and it should be in context, but what if we want to allow the opportunity post-program, post-course, to allow things like video rehearsal practice outside the course walls? Wouldn't that be great? It still has a contextual element. You still have the opportunity to invite peers to give feedback on that. You still have a place to sort of centralize the asset so you can come back and managers can look at sort of the grading and the scoring on that. So that's, yes, we're, yeah. we're sort of trying to create those opportunities for, for that again and again that start to go beyond the, sort of the program, but they're all about measuring that behavior and that impact to Juan's yeah. earlier point. Well, and there's another question I'm going to tackle, but the one before this that we, we've hit on a couple of times, you, you, met, you brought up the pre-work one. Right. And I and I've I've seen the eye rolls happen for legitimate reasons. <laughs> like people go, oh, we all have pre-work and nobody does it. And one of the things I get really fired up about this one because my whole thing is who cares? Right. Like, and honestly, one of the best experiences I had was I built a program and it was based on when we're live, we're not going through content. So you do the pre-work or you're gonna come. And right, you, you, you don't, we're not going to go through it again when you got here. And I remember getting so much pushback from my own L&D team saying, but they're not going to do the pre-work. And I said, great, then let them fail and fall flat <laughs> on their face and be in front of their with that. We're creating an environment where failure is safe. 
So fine, I get it. They have a whole lifetime of, they didn't really have to do the pre-work before. Of course, they're not going to do the pre-work. They don't actually think it's going to matter. So let's design an experience where we plan on failing them. Let, like, let's design that into the experience knowing that that's actually going to drive it. So I think you both hit on it in different capacities, but I think this mindset shift that we can also move towards is this element of we need to get better at building failure into yeah. the learning process and not making it so easy that everybody can just glaze over it. No, it, sh it should be hard. You should come in and go, <laughs> I did not do very well on that. Like, correct. That's why you're here. That's why you maybe should have watched the stuff ahead of time. And you know what? You have another opportunity to do it. So do you think you're going to pay attention this time? Like, yeah, I, I probably will. So it's a huge motivator for, beha for behavioral change, right? I mean, that's it. Is. A, a it is. If you, don't think, if you don't think you have a problem or you don't think you need to improve, you're then not what's the, Why would I spend the time? Why would I spend any time doing it? So, so that was just kind of one little like nugget on that again. But then the other one that I, that Patricia brought up that I think is an important one to, to hit on, on here is she talked about, you know, is there this need for management to help reinforce the change? And I think this is where, as we start talking about stepping back and looking at the experience, this to me is one of the biggest advantages of approaching things from a programmatic standpoint is you're saying, well, what are the different elements that we need to build in here? Now, to me, the beauty of this is, is that yes, you absolutely still are going to want manager involvement in any sort of behavior change. Because at the end of the day, if you build the behavior, but there's no incentive going back to like, if I know I can pass the test without reading the content, why would I read the content? Same thing with, I know I might be able to do this, but if my boss isn't going to actually make me do it, why would I? But I think the thing that's interesting about this is that, you know, I've seen the pushback on this be, well, managers just don't. don't. And my don't have the time, Christopher. They don't have the time. Don't, don't. They don't have the time, or they won't. They won't do it. And to me, that doesn't necessarily. When you approach things from a programmatic standpoint, that doesn't have to be as big of a threat, because if you design these right, you can demonstrate you've enabled the right behaviors. You've moved the right behaviors. Whether those behaviors then ultimately are executed in the business, that's where we start stepping outside our zone of. I mean, we yeah. we're a very so much. But we can only do so much. So by doing the programmatic approach, you actually help address this problem because now you can isolate it because you can say, hey, we did move the behaviors. We know people have these right behaviors. If it's still not happening, where else might we need to look? Yeah, the other piece of that, I think, was, was a huge for us. And I, I, when I mentioned that Senex example of the um, uh, leaders as teachers, where they kept them involved in the, in the sort of the duration of this sort of multi, uh, multi week, multi month program was just that is they're creating this, but they would think of it as a positive peer culture. You're trying to create this idea of these opportunities for sort of reinforcing the expectation that that behavior carries on post program, but you're doing it in the very program itself. And then you're extending that over time. And then I think one, we built our, our the idea of our team facilitation dashboard with that intent specifically in mind so that mm -hmm. there are this opportunity for managers who have little to no time in a simplified, easy format to jump in and say, ah, who, who do I need to check on that may have created a submission that I need to take a quick look at that rubric, create some feedback in some format, making that so simple for them to do so that it does reinforce that behavior. Because I would say the answer to that question is not just yes, but unequivocally yes, uh, Patricia, that you put out there. You have to have that continuation of, of, of manager involvement. And from a platform perspective, we're trying to 
make that as easy as possible for them um, so they can continue on when they're outside of, of the platform. Okay. So one one last question that came up that I'll bring up before I do, I kind of want to tie a little bit of a bow on this because I think, oh, that was, I was like, was that me? What's happening in the show? Oh, it's over on my end. <laughs> no, but I think, you know, one of the things that we've hit on throughout this is that we've really decrypted the fact that when we think about development, it's it's a bigger thing than just this object. Whether that's in person, whether it's digital, whatever it is, there's a lot more that goes on to learn in learning than just watch a video. You do a thing. It's complicated and it's big. And I think what we've really hit on is the fact that what NovoWed is doing is allowing you to account for that complexity while still keeping it together in a meaningful way and say, what are all the different elements that we need to include? But instead of just having them randomly strewn throughout and hopefully people can get it figured out, you're saying, let's bring all that together so that in a meaningful way we can do this. And the other thing you brought up, Juan, is the ability to say, and that's led and facilitated by someone who is an expert in doing this, which again addresses the threat of, was there no need for facilitators anymore? Well, no, there absolutely is in the right context. Okay, so then the last question that I think will help from a tech one. And again, this should be a pretty easy one, but going back to this, how does this fit into the tech ecosystem? So as we're talking about this, NovoWeb's not an LMS, it's not an LXP, but it fits in with that. And this is then linking back if you have an LMS or an LXP, this then is an experience that then integrates in with that. It's not a replacement to, it's a supplement to, correct? Correct. And most of our customers yeah. have a corporate LMS, like a Saba, Workday Learning, Sum Total, Cornerstone, for example. So uh, we integrate and we set up a two-way street to exchange information and also to, to simplify things. We can automate, for example. You can register your learners from your LMS into their NovoEd programs, and we can automatically send back data about them, like completion uh, yeah. status and, and scores, for example. So no, we, that's where um, I was referring to earlier, where we see ourselves as part of the learning tech stack that you're using. Okay. All right. Well, awesome. Well, I warned you. I warned you that we were running out of time. I, I could spend the better part of a day talking about nothing but just even some of these subtopics. So this we is as well. Awesome. I've really enjoyed the conversation, Todd and Juan. Thank you so much for being there. Uh, for being here. Hopefully everybody watching, it, this has helped you just even think differently about how you're thinking about learning design and architecture and, and the way you're approaching that and how tech can help because these are real challenges, but tech is really making it much, much easier than what you may have had to deal with in the past. So thanks everybody for being here. Thank you gentlemen for joining me and uh, I'll be back here. I'll be back here tomorrow at the YouTube. <laughs> so, have it was a great fun. Time. Thank you, Chris, for having us. Fantastic. Bye-bye. Take care.